Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. If you take it back to Christ's teachings again, um, or the scriptures, even they, the the people were given the law of Moses. They were told exactly here are the things you do and you don't do. They were given those steps. But then we know that Christ came and gave them a higher law. He gave them kind of more purpose to those steps that they were first supposed to do, commanded to do. And so, yeah, DEI training might be here are the things that you say or you don't say. But what is the higher law of anti-racism, of love, of empathy? What is that higher law that we can live that those those steps will kind of feed into and help us live that higher law even better? Yeah. You know, I like the idea of separating out what I am versus what I do. And what I am is actually a very short list. I feel like those for me, those things last eternally. I am a father. I am a son. I am a husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Child of God. Yeah, exactly. What I do, that list is huge and that list can change. And I think sometimes um, I know I have felt defensive in conversations about racism where I feel like I'm being attacked because I'm white, therefore I'm racist. Mm -hmm. I think I don't think that's the message. And I don't think that's true. I think that I'm sure uh, unintentionally and and hopefully not intentionally ever, but unintentionally, all of us have probably done something racist Mm -hmm. or or and even broadening it out, done something to affect a marginalized group like we've been talking about. But that doesn't mean that's what you are. And that and that doesn't mean that you can't improve. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't an honest mistake. Now, Mm -hmm. it still needs to be corrected. You know, that's not we we don't write it off. Right. But I think um, I know a lot of people. This conversation makes the hair on the back of their neck stand up because it seems like. If if you aren't. On the crusade. Then you're part of the problem and you're a racist. It's like, I'm not sure I'm ready to commit to that, to it being that polarized. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? Did you have something you're going to say? I had a quick thing. Uh, Anne was was pulling up a reference in a book here. So I was going to cover for a moment while she found the the quote. But because there's there's another really interesting side of this, which is uh, I'm sure that all three of us on this call right now have benefited from structural racism in one way or another. Um, And it's, you know, you know, Zach, maybe it's it's, you know, one of us walked into a job interview and the person interviewing us uh, was a a white male who saw another white male and something clicked and they go, yeah, I, I like this guy. He 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 just just seems like somebody I like when it's it's somebody who looks and talks like, you know, like you, you know, like like the person who's doing the interview um, and, and that sort of a thing. And that's that that's another realization that I had to have was, uh, yeah, I. I've benefited from this and that that kind of feels icky, uh, you know, that that kind of throughout my life. And I, I, I don't know what those things are, um, but I can be, be pretty sure that I have benefited 
from structural and systemic racism uh, probably a number of times in one way or another. Well, and if you flip it, white people are also hurt by racism. Um, in the 50s, when civil rights stuff was going on, um, they used to have these big pools, the, like community pools that people would go to, but they were segregated and they couldn't, you know, black people couldn't swim at these pools. And there was a um, horrific event in Baltimore where a black boy couldn't go. He had two white friends and then it was him and another black friend and they couldn't go to the pool to swim together. And they were great friends. They just wanted to swim together. And so they had to go to a river and the boy got caught in a current and he drowned. And so because of that event, um, the they took it to the courts and they said, OK, we need to desegregate all of these pools. And so the white people in some of the towns decided, no, we'll just drain our pools and cover them up. We'd rather not swim together and we won't let anybody swim in a public place. And so we're just going to cover it up. And so white people also lost the benefit of a community pool because of this racism toward black people. And ironically, that's when personal pools started to take off. People just put pools in their own backyards because there was no more um, community pools to enjoy. And so those sort of things, like, I mean, some of us grew up with pools in our backyards and that comes from racism. And we don't know that sort of stuff. It stems from that. It might, you know, you're the person who put the pool in your backyard doesn't necessarily come from racism, <laughs> but the idea of having personal pools, you know, so that's some of that structural stuff that's built in that was years ago, decades ago, and we just don't know it. And we take advantage of that, having a pool in our backyard, like, cool, you know, fun, whatever. But but that is something that is built off of that. And so, like Roger's saying, some of us benefit from from those things that happened a long time ago, those structural things. Um, there's a book that I love called Dear White Peacemakers. It Here it is. <laughs> it's by Oshita Moore. She's a... Um, She's a pastor in her church, um, and it is a whole book about anti-racism, but it's based off of the story of the Sermon on the Mount. And so she she teaches anti-racism by using um, the verses and understanding that as Christians, most of us have of the Sermon on the Mount. That's something that we're fairly familiar with, I, I would say. Um, and she's talking in this one chapter about... Um, how she had been given this, she was giving a, a talk somewhere and this white woman came up to her and was just bawling. And she said, I'm not a racist. I'm so sorry. I hate that title. Like, I don't want to be called a racist. And she says, don't say that about yourself. You are beloved. That is who you are. Your name is not racist. It's beloved. What the world needs are more white peacemakers who, who know they are beloved by a loving God and from that overflow, from that overflow, seek the belovedness of others. So when we understand that we're beloved, that we are children of a heavenly father and heavenly mother, everybody is that. Everybody is a child of heavenly parents. When we have that, that overflow will, will help us to seek that belovedness out of other people. So she saw that white woman crying because she had been labeled a racist or felt that she was labeled a racist. And she said, don't even go there. You're beloved. 
and yeah. and we just need to love each other. And she says the practice begins to disarm enmity within ourselves and each other. So some people can feel that anger when they are when they're told that they made a racist mistake or they you know did a microaggression or something. They can feel that anger or that fear that you're talking about. Like, no, don't call me that. I'm not. I'm not wearing a white hat, you know, like I'm not a racist, um, but understanding who we are and and who other people are starts to break up that fear. We will make mistakes. We're going to say things out of, you know, an implicit bias or a misunderstanding. We're going to say things that are wrong, but that doesn't mean that we're a bad person. It's like you were saying, separating out who you are and who you, and what you do. Um, we are beloved and we can sense that belovedness in others when we understand it in ourselves. I love that. Uh, what a fantastic quote and story. Um, along those lines, tell me some good news. Are we making progress? <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly would say like, for me to have this understanding and to be able to talk about it with Roger, that's progress. We're teaching our four white boys to love people more and to be more compassionate and understanding. That's progress. You know, it's not going to be a fell swoop of now racism is over. This is going to be a fight for the rest of our lives. Something that we have to focus on. Like Roger said earlier, if it's not enough to just say, I'm not a racist, check, you're good. You know, it. you have to actively be anti-racist. You have to actively be trying to love people and trying to understand people and trying to help people feel belong, that they belong. Um, if we don't reach out or um, make the bench wider at church, you know, keep the doors open, our churches say that everybody is welcome but often we we want the cookie cutter member. We want the people that fit the mold, but we need to be more welcoming to people that don't fit the mold and, and understand that they have things to bring as well. They have experiences and understanding that we might not have. And so as we open up to more people, um, I think that's progress. And so, you know, there are there are small things that we can do, but we have to celebrate every win, every step, every accomplishment, you know, every book you read, every time you talk about it, whatever it is, is a step in the right direction. But just sitting there and not doing anything and not trying to understand or to love, I mean, that's not progression. That's that's complacency, you know? So um, I think we have to be moving forward. Okay. Um, well, again, I really appreciate both of you taking time out of your evening to talk about this. It's it's certainly an important topic. It's a topic that you're passionate about, and it's a topic that you've put in the energy to to get educated on. Um, we always like to to offer a guest the opportunity to bear their testimony in closing. Uh, Roger, I'd extend that to you, and then Anne, if you want to close it out, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, ultimately things are messy. 
and uh, and a lot of things get complicated and 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 difficult. Um, and so it's reassuring to me to, to kind of come back to the same point we were making earlier that that the gospel itself can be very simple. Um, and uh, and, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, came to the earth and set an example for us and 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 lived a certain way. And, and we're going to try to follow that. And that's that's something I can keep coming back to. I, I can keep trying to, to live on that path. You know, and and like in Doctrine and Covenants, you know, how, how great will be your joy if you bring just one soul. I, I can focus on that. I can focus on bringing this soul to Christ and and trying to take tiny, tiny steps uh, and and that sort of thing. And, and you know, our, our joy will be greater if we can if we can reach some others and kind of kind of spread this good news and 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 the things that we've, you know, hopefully learned um, and that sort of thing. But uh, but I'm grateful for a gospel that that has that simplicity to it. Um, and knowing that uh, if I can love God and love my neighbor, then then things are going to work out all right. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and anything um, you add? I, I mean, I agree, of course, with what he said. Um, I... I appreciate the simplicity that that this part of the gospel can bring. Um, I I recently have realized more in myself that I like sitting in the questions and sitting in that uncomfortable part of Christianity because it helps me to grow more. Um, I I. <laughs> I realized on my mission, I always said, I, I can't stand teaching complacent people because they just don't want to improve. They don't want to change their life. But I realized that I was complacent in my own testimony. I had just accepted things and I hadn't really tried to figure it out for myself. I hadn't like worked in those questions and in the doubts that I um, that I inevitably had. I had just been like, yeah, good. I'm complacent. I'm good where I am. I know the gospel and that's enough. But I I lately have been able to study more and dive deeper into it. And, and you know, it's, it's still shocking to me that it's through a vein of anti-racism that seems like such a secular topic, but it is that vein that brought me closer to Christ, that made me understand his purpose and what he did when he was on the earth and how I can be like him, how I can love people in the way that he loved people and reach out to people that hurt and that, um, you know, for a number of reasons that are hurting. And I appreciate that I can focus my life on what seems to be the focus of Christ's life. <laughs> Um, it's important to me to, I mean, it's important to me to understand what he was trying to do and, and how I can apply that to my life. And I'm grateful that we have a church that can kind of give us the, I don't know, the word, the, the like scaffolding to work within to do that. Um, and, you know, it's not perfect. Our church definitely has had its own issues with racism and 
um, different challenges where people are are struggling. But I do believe that as a church, we are trying to be better. Like you said, there are a lot of talks lately that have been talking about unity and empathy and and racism and a lot of those struggles. And I think that our leaders understand the importance of working with marginalized people and helping them to feel welcome. And I think there's a lot of grassroots efforts as well. And so we need to just combine those two things. You know, we, the people at the top get it and they they are trying their hardest to teach it and to educate us. And we need to just put it into practice more. Um, so I'm grateful that we have a church that is headed in that direction and we can we can take those steps necessary to be more like Christ and to have him more in our lives to help us to to reach out and to love more. Great. Well, I don't I don't know of anybody that would argue against the idea of, you know, Christ teaching to love. Um, so I appreciate both of you sharing your testimonies and of you taking the time to do this. So thank you very much. And uh, I hope that you continue to make and see progress in <laughs> the area that's so dear to you. Thanks, Zach.